This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. And this is Habibi. Welcome to the Tri-Tac Games Podcast. Your podcast where, John, do you have a cannon? Uh, it's a loose cannon. Peter, you got a cannon? It's a big cannon. Trav, <laughs> you got a cannon? Loading, ready to go. Habibi, you got a cannon? I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> this week we are talking about living with canon and the canon we're talking about is the things that certain people mostly who happen to own the property intellectual property rights to the things that we love so dear and dear to us our favorite shows our favorite books our favorite movies and what they say is acceptable and what we know is true. Yep. In a game far, far away. <sighs> Trap, this is you and Abibi were working on this. What do you uh, got to introduce this topic to us? Well, I'd like to introduce her, of course, for those who don't know. Uh, Habibi, I call her my radio wife on my show, The Travcast, and she's been on with me for, on and off, for about three years. Is that because she gives you nothing but static? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, he deserves it. You see? Yeah. Anyways, um, we talked about canon because Star Trek is one of her canons, the next-gen on version, and I believe you like the reboots as well? Yeah. Um, somewhat. Okay, so figured this would be something that I would want her to be in on, and, I, you know, she knows about the podcast, and we've talked about it, so, yeah. With canon, everybody has their likes and dislikes about what is and isn't canon about particular fandoms. Star Trek, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Farscape, what have you. Doctor Who. Doctor, oh, God, yes. Yeah, and don't forget versions of role-playing games. Oh, yeah. Roll, oh, yeah. Rollmaster. Ardrin Grimmore. And, and so it can be a very touchy subject as far as what is and isn't canon particular things. Uh, we can use even our own example. Fringeworthy, we changed the canon around somewhat in the D20 version, adding and changing certain things, you know, to update the game and whatnot. So, and, to make, and to make it more fun. Well, yeah, and there may be some people who prefer what was in the 92 version or even what was in the 80. You're going to have that. 
Um, John brought up a version. Uh, John brought up something in our private group about Star Wars. You were in a Star Wars campaign, John. Yeah, I was in a Star. I was in a Star Wars uh, game. We were actually we were, we, were, we decided to play troops. You know, remember the the, the the that the movie that came out that little series of movies that came out. Uh, you know. Oh God. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it turned out that the the GM was the original trilogy only person. Uh, me, I'm saying it's all canon. I'm all good with it. So we we did have some discussions over what was and what wasn't canon. <laughs> I arguments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing blowing up and killing Uncle, you know, uh, Aunt Baloo and and, uh, mm-hmm. okay. uh, and Uncle Owen. Uncle. That made perfect sense after I saw that on Troops. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and we we had you know, we had fun, but you know, we did stay somewhat in camera. Everything we did was off camera. So basically, everything that happened between the scenes, we did. I think the only thing we ever did that actually was on camera was. Those are not the droids you're looking for, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, and of course, all of us were probably doing the Jedi hand trick wave as we as he said that. These are not move along. I did it. <laughs> Guilty. Yeah. But but with canon, with like gaming in a well established universe. Now, technically, this is a spinoff of the various previous episodes that we've done. Fringeworthy in Star Wars, Fringeworthy in Rifts, which I did, Fringeworthy in Call of Cthulhu, which Bruce ran that one, uh, Fringeworthy in D&D. Technically, by adding Fringeworthy, therefore, we've automatically changed the canon to include this new facet. So we can consider this a continuation of that series because now we are talking on a much broader scale, changing canon and what is still comfortable and what Okay, you know, yeah. in the earlier episode, we basically said that the GM and the players have to decide what they're comfortable about changing in order to include this in their game. Right now, we're just talking about uh, the effects of doing so and, and what, if not anything, philosophically never should change or, you know, because when yeah. you talk about canon, that's really what you're saying. You're saying this is a core piece that must not change because if it does, it's no longer what it was. Unless you're playing Doctor Who, which, you know, it's how many years old and how many times it's been rebooted and, re- and revamped. I mean, every time the Doctor re- regenerates, they change the canon a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a book that has little dotted lines around certain sections because that happened in an alternate timeline that the doctor screwed with a one point in one episode, he basically changed things so that the time, his own timeline couldn't have occurred that way. So now it's different and they have to, you know, it's just, it's really a, a piece of work. It's called a history of doctor who not the history, a history. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, then there's a good show on what what is and isn't canon. If you were playing RPGs when the show first came out, you know, back in the sixties, uh, the very first series, he wasn't Gallifreyan, he wasn't a Time Lord, he was just a crazy old man with a time machine and a granddaughter, and a granddaughter. Yeah. <laughs> so everything, and in fact, everything we know about Doctor pretty much came when the Hartnell had to leave the series because he was well, not he wasn't very well. He was. You know, so they came up with the idea of regeneration, and from there, everything else flows. The rest is history, yeah. Yeah, but that does bring a point up. You know, um, 
if you're going to be playing, you know, in the Doctor Who universe, actually, French in the Doctor Who universe doesn't change the canon. <laughs> that universe is so screwed up and it has so many people traveling around time in different dimensions, it fits right in just fine without changing canon once a bit. Well, the thing is with canon and, and timeline rebooting, there are a lot of people that's saying right now that want Stephen Moffat's head because the man is, he loves the reboot button. I mean, just in Matt Smith's reign, the, the three seasons he was there, he rebooted the universe, like, what, twice and alternate timelines and all that? And just, yeah, there are some people that want Moffat gone. Yeah, and the reboot with the Raggedy Man, yep. <laughs> yeah. A, a big part of this, uh, what this episode should be, is not just, um, not just sticking with canon or, you know, uh, or what you, you know, going against canon. A lot of it has to do with feel because a lot of times you got to remember uh, these stories revolve around the heroes of the story. So let's take what we started with with Star Wars, right? If you're not playing Luke and Han and Leia and Chewbacca and all that, you're probably not, probably not going to be making big effective changes in the world. You're not going to be the big superheroes in the world. But if you're crafty enough, you kind of still can be. And that's what I kind of want to talk about is that um, there are ways to have epic level adventures where you are, you, you know, you are very important people to things going on. Your story just did not interact with their story. Because in a, in a universe, an universe as big as, say, Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever, there's a lot to do without having to be involved with them. Yep. Or your portal was on Alderaan. Uh, well, okay, sure. <laughs> it doesn't bother it. No, it doesn't bother it. It's going to be out there in orbit on a piece of rock. So what? <laughs> Makes finding it real interesting. <laughs> right. Maybe it's in that asteroid where that big giant worm thing was. Because that was part of the remnants of Alderaan, wasn't it? No, that was a different... Oh, was it? No, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. That's round right. the Hoff system, and this is how you got run into. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm. I'm crossing movies here. Yeah, and this is an example of what happens when you play the game. Yeah, if you, you, people will start pointing out when you get it wrong, or if you, they think you're getting it wrong. But you know what the problem with that is? Is that everybody has their own interpretation of uh, the the whole idea of canon and what's not canon, and and what's the feel, and what was the guy going for, and all like everybody has their own feel for that sort of thing. Like, uh, like we were saying earlier, you know, some people hate midichlorines. Um, some people like that, you know, it, it gave a definition as to what, what that was all about. And some people are, you know, the, the other half of the, the people are, no, no, it's better when it's just mysterious. That's what makes it so awesome. And those are the conversations you're going to have at the table and you got to decide ahead of time so that everybody is, uh, enjoying the adventure that's going on and you're not spoiling it for anyone else. See, that's the thing about, uh, dealing with canon is that if you... Okay, we're all going to play Star Wars D20. Fine. You're going to have... What do they say? If you ask 12 different people about something, you're going to get 14 different reactions on it? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Everybody's going to have their different views on what is and isn't canon. And I don't want to start... <clears throat> how can I put this pleasantly? A urination contest. The recent decision by Disney who now owns Lucasfilm and therefore Star Wars continuity on what is and isn't continuity. You're going to have a lot of people. You've had a lot of people already bent out of shape. The blogosphere has gone nuts on this, on this just decision. And if you haven't heard the six movies and the Clone Wars series and the upcoming Rebel series, 
expanded universe is known as quote unquote Star Wars Legends. Yeah. Well, for the majority of people who were fans of Star Wars. They didn't read the books. They didn't read the comic books. All they knew was the first three movies. Yeah. And so for them, they're like, yeah, we, we doubled our canon and added a, a cute animated series into it. Great. We're fine. Who, who cares about this other stuff? Right. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm a prime example of that because I haven't really read any of the Star Wars books. I, I read some of the comics. I, I have some of the comics from they, even some of the ones from the old days. It might even be worth something. Ooh, the Mark Miller ones, yeah. The problem I have with the whole Star Wars thing is that I have recently kind of become a, I don't really care too much. You know, it's not going to hurt my feelings. So I may not be a fair one to judge. I mean, I don't care how much they change it or, or they, they, you know, acknowledge or don't acknowledge. You know, but I can understand where some people would be really you know, cheesed off, you know, um, you got people like Michael Stackpole who, who's written one of the most critically acclaimed books, the, uh, the rogue squadron series. Yeah. That's not going to be Canon. And it's like for a lot of people, that's like a smack in the mouth and and that's all fine. But what we're talking about though is, is is the role, the role playing aspect of this. Yeah. And and some of these books are are good examples of how you, you how you do it. You know, you, you've got the Rogue Squadron. Now, Rogue Squadron wasn't really gone into heavily in the Star Wars movies. Uh, you know, a lot of their exploits and stuff they did that, that were in the books. But that was happening during, uh, as, my, as I understand, that was happening during the um, the Rebellion era. Yeah. There you go. You know, they, they had a great story, great series of novels for that. There's a whole huge universe to play in. But how do you keep the feel? How do you keep that Star Warsy goodness and not do Darth Vader and the Emperor and all that. Well, you'd be dealing with the governors at that point. Sure, okay. Various governors, and also you'd be dealing with the the, the bit of that's not part of the Emperor. Because remember, Tatooine was not part of the Empire. Right. Yeah, the Outer Rim territories, yeah. And you've also got a lot of, uh, you've got Sith that are obviously around because in all, a lot of the other series... A lot of the other, I guess, now non-canon series, you find out, oh my god, there were Sith running all over the place. Well, that was in the, uh, the oh god, and it was like 20,000 years before episode 4, I forget. Dark Horse Comics did Tales of the Jedi, they had a whole bunch of source books for West End games. And so that was all 20,000 years before the original trilogy. And that was considered a huge part of canon because that formed a major backbone of the Star Wars universe said. I wasn't even talking about that. I'm talking about the, the, like the game Force Unleashed. Darth Vader was training an apprentice. And the Emperor didn't know it. So you can do stuff like that. It's saying, it's saying that, oh yeah, there's only, there's only ever two Siths. Well, that, as long as they're obeying the rules, and we know how well the Sith obey rules, right? Yeah. yeah. There's only two Sith at a time, but there's a lot of Sith wannabes, apparently. Sure, and, and your characters could be running into those. Yeah, I mean, uh, look at the the the, uh, um, the video games like Old Republic. Uh, the latest Old Republic being released has a whole bunch of Sith wannabes in it. Yeah, that's now that's going to be put into question because one of my fellow DJs, uh, Jake Hitty, knows a lot of the MMORPG community, and now that's thrown all into askew because of the fact of this ruling. Yeah. Now here's a question. So I'm a GM, and I decide I, I don't want to set my games in the movies. I want to put them between the movies. But here's the question: Do I let my characters interact with the canon characters? Sure. 
Why not? You can, but here's the problem. Here's the problem you're going to run into. I shoot Luke. Right. What if they decide they want to do that? And then it's it's obvious that you can't allow that to happen unless unless you do. But let's say you're like, no, no, I got to preserve the time stream. They are gonna they're gonna feel railroaded. Well, no, you just yeah. simply say that certain characters have plot immunity. It's a very common you know concept that's in a lot of games. You can't kill the king. You can't you know uh, uh, blow up Earth. Okay, <laughs> you can't do a lot of things because it ruins the game. It ruins the plot. So, you know, within certain very easily described limits, everybody has perfect freedom. So, so Bruce, are you saying that in this case, you, you, you basically sign a social contract with your players saying, look, I can bring these characters in for you guys to interact with, but there's certain things I'm not going to allow you to do. And if you feel like you're railroaded and that's going to ruin your game, then I just won't have you interact with those characters. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how, if I ran a Star Wars games, I know at least two guys who would be like, oh, I get to try to date Leia? Sure, I'm down with that. And, you know, there's nothing as far as I know in the timeline that says that Leia's a virgin. Right. Even (laughs) if she was a virgin, there's nothing that says that she can't have a romance in between the movies. Sure, sure. Oh, we have to get. I I want to console her because her her because Han Solo is now a coffee table. There's a lot of uh, rebound potential there. John, he's a floating coffee table. <laughs> and you can buy and you can buy one too. Here's some spacer and some bar on outer rim territories, all drunk off his butt, going. Leah used me and threw me away as soon as she found out that Han Solo could be you know, rejuvenated from the carbonite. She tossed me away like an empty blaster. It was horrible. Yeah, or better, you know what it is, Travis? It's like, hey, Leia left me for my, my friend Han. I better go chase him down. <laughs> yeah. And drink this Colt 45 while I'm at it. Oh, wow. Snip, 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 snip. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly, John. You mean snip? Yeah, That's no. funny. <laughs> Every game includes a social contract, and if it doesn't, it should, because that's yeah. how everybody agrees on how to have fun, and, yeah. so, and so that nobody gets their fun stepped on. So social contracts are very important. It's, it's, a very, it's fundamental to good role-playing. So you just build that into the social contract. You know, there are certain things that we don't do. We don't ruin the, the timeline, the, the three or six movies, whatever way you want to look at it. Oh. Then brings us to the next question. So my players really are getting anxious. They want to do the first move. They want to do the first movie, but they don't want to play down the canon characters and say they're fringeworthy. So they basically sneak in and they they want to get on board the X-wing X-wing fighters and fly them, realizing that only two came back in the movie. Yeah, and they weren't player characters coming back in the movie. <laughs> I mean, most of the X-Wing fighters got blown out of the sky. Oh, the Death Star battle. Okay, yeah, I was wondering. There's a real yeah. simple way of doing that, John. <laughs> yeah. Mind transfer. Oh, there you go. Mm. Or hold on, wait a minute. Another way of doing that is that, you know, more than two came back. Who cares? It doesn't change anything. Luke still blew the Death Star up. Do I like it, though? Some guy, you know, does mind transfer and stops, looks down. Oh, criminy! I'm Porkins! Oh, poor Porkins. Oh, it happens. <laughs> oh, what got cut in the cutting room floor was that they actually shot several scenes with female pilots. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's not let's not get off target. Stay on target. That's right. That's why that's why Pink Six is is the true canon for Star Wars. Well, you know, th- there's a whole other thing you can do. All right, so so the Rebel era, you know, I mean, there's all there's all kinds of ways to dodge around this. So, what if you know you have your campaign right before Episode Four? I mean, like, you know, your characters come onto the scene, and you're the guys that got the plans to Leia. Right, but that's where your French worthy adventure ends. That that was the mission. The mission was to get the plans to her. So you could have a whole adventure in that universe, you know, with uh, you know having Darth Vader involved. Having um, you could even have the droids involved for that matter. There's no reason why they they couldn't have been around you when that was happening. Nobody said they weren't. You Han Solo could have been part of that. Maybe he didn't even know. You know, maybe he didn't. Maybe he was your transport. So you know, you got to just got to be creative. Yeah, if there are things that are not listed in canon, you can have the characters do because it's not written down. If it isn't written down or shown on film, it, it's it's open season on that. Look at the la- the last film. Okay, you've got a, a fully functional but battle star that looks like it's you know made out of scaffolding, right? Okay, all during the time that they were building the first battle star. There's nothing to say you couldn't have been part of the rebellion, going doing everything you could to destroy transports, bringing critical supplies to it, slowing down its construction, allowing Luke time to grow up, yeah, mm-hmm. and keeping Tatooine that nice little you know corner of nothing that it was, so for him to do that. I mean, somebody was diverting the Empire's attention uh, away, you know, from all these other outlying places. Well, you could be part of that part of the rebellion that was being effectively slowing down the construction of such gigantic battle stations. Well, because you figure it took them 18 years to create that because it was starting to be created at the end of episode three. Episode four is 18 years after episode three. So it took them, and you already figure with what was built of the Death Star at the end of episode three, it took them 20 years to build that. Yeah, you could have a lot of people slowing things down, the fledgling Rebel Alliance messing with, you know, the transports and the shuttles. and. Well, I mean, Death Star 2, Death Star 2, I mean, that one, it was bigger. I mean, that one has probably would have been started not soon after the first one was started. No, because that was only four years between episodes four and six, that was four years. Three years between four and five and one year between five and six. So that means their construction techniques got really, really well if they could build a Death Star in four years when it took them 20 for the first one. Well, it also yeah. might be a matter of resources. I mean, the the the, the Death Star was an unproven uh, concept. I mean, they were building it, but at the same time, they were building all their super dreadnoughts, too. Things yeah. that were proven. Where are you going to put your money? The things that work, right? Put a little bit of money aside to build this hypothetically you know, superior thing. And then, but of course, once it blew up a planet, okay, it's proven. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now we were going to funnel some real resources into the next construction. Bam, gets done in four years. Yeah, it's like, hey, all right, yeah, we we know what not to do now. <laughs> Let's not have that stupid little exhaust. Yeah. And we got a lot of raw material from the planet we blew up. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, well, not much raw materials, but <laughs> enough. <laughs> 
So, so I know we're talking about Star Wars, but you know, Habibi is uh, your expertise is in Star Trek. So, how would you deal with Star Trek with Fringeworthy showing up? You know, people from another dimension showing up. Not that that ever happened in Star Trek. <laughs> how would they even deal with that? No, that would never happen in Star Trek. It would be totally illogical. It completely. Yeah. I think I've explained Fringeworthy enough to you to at least have a basic grasp of it. Yeah, I have a bit of a grasp of it, but honestly, I just think it's Stargate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, folks, but that is the public face of our game. It, it's it's Star it's Stargate mixed with sliders. And yes, you could probably play a Stargate a Fringeworthy game where you end up in the Stargate universe. So yes. Oh yeah, probably. Absolutely no reason not to. Oh yeah. Oh, mixing fandoms. Ah! Oh, hey, nice segue. So, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, when my group we we did a whole uh, we did a whole Star Wars mixed with uh, Star Trek campaign. They were heavily, heavily, heavily mixed. Trav in bed together, like nobody's business, making sweet love with one another. I think we should talk more about this. He hasn't died yet. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm busy twitching. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, I really am not a fan of mixing fandoms. It has to be really unique for it to click. All right, Trav, hold on. I'm going to make your brain pop. All right. So we had uh, we had a wormhole from the Star Wars universe, a, 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 a distance and time wormhole. So it could go, you know, far, far away from long, long ago. And they appeared in the Star Trek universe with the Death Star, you know, all heck breaks loose. And then, uh, so our characters that we were playing, the way we got around, you know, kind of got around this, is we, we were actually playing bad guys. We were all playing guys that were in a penal colony that escaped together. We disappeared out into the undiscovered territories, which is where the Farscape universe was taking place. <laughs> and <laughs> Hey, Trev, how's that eye? Is it, is it twitching yet? <laughs> Hateflix. Yeah. <laughs> I've read a bit of his Obsidian Portal stuff that he put out about this campaign, so, yeah. I thought it was pretty epic. Yeah. I mean, the biggest issue I had with this, using Star Wars and Friendsworthy is that Earth is not anywhere mentioned or no, no, or noticed anywhere in that. Right, yeah. But in Star Trek Universe, bam, you're on, you're on Earth. You know, and you're, you know, that would be a prime world. The, the Federation headquarters, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. That would be a much different uh, beastie to work with. The question is, when you know, when do you encounter them? You know, do you encounter them during the during Enterprise? Do you encounter them during the, the original series, Next Gen, Viger? You know, whenever which which one do you want to? Which one do you do you encounter them? I don't know the relative sizes, but it always looked to me like the Death Star was about the same size as a Borg cube. Something like no, that. No, no, bigger, bigger, no. actually, bigger. Yeah, the Death Star is much bigger than a Borg cube. Really? But, okay. Yeah, but then again, they they built they built a uh, vessel to take on the Borg, and also they had any any matter weapons, which I don't think they had in Star Wars. And Habibi just showed me a picture of contrast between the two, between a Borg cube and the Death Star. The Borg cube is much bigger than the Death Star. That's what multiple pictures all over the interwebs show. Huh. Okay. Now, that's Death Star 1. How about Death Star 2? Did you get all the nits when you were picking there, John? Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, the Death Star 2 is a lot bigger than Death Star Yeah, 1. it was. It was much bigger than the first one, yeah. Because it was quite sizable up against the Forest Moon of Endor. Oh so, yeah. So 
<laughs> well, the reason I bring it up is, is that if they are comparable in size, then the Death Star isn't quite as dangerous, if I may use. You know, I mean, it's no more dangerous than the Borg, and they were able to handle the Borg in uh, late next gen and, and deep, uh, deep Space Nine. Yeah. It looks like the Death Star would be way bigger. But look, okay, I'm not sure if this is factual or canon. <laughs> Death Star, diameter 160 kilometers. Borg cube, size 28 cubic kilometers in volume, each side measuring more than three kilometers. The Death Star is much bigger, yeah. Right, the Death Star is... Way bigger. But I mean, look at, and look at the crew. The crew on the, the Death crew... Star was 265,675 plus a bunch of other... 130,000 drones for a Borg cube. So it looks like the Borg cube would be smaller. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. I think so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And considering the capital size ships that that was going up against the Borg cube, let's say during the the Battle of Wolf three fifty nine and the battle in Star Trek First Contact, I'm sorry, those capital ships would be dwarfed by either Death Star. Well, and, and look, look at the look at the uh, the Darth Vader's uh, flagship, the uh, Imp- the Avenger. Oh God, yes, that thing is huge, mongus. I mean, you could you could dock. The uh, Enterprise in one of its bays. Oh yeah. So we, when we did this, when we did this mixing of media, as it were, as it were, mixing of genre, you know, the questions come up. You know, these questions always come up. But Death Star is using lasers, and it's like, you know, the shields are blocked that out with no problem. We basically said, well, you know, remember, that's that's not exactly true because uh, maybe they were calling them laser cannons, but you know, they had shields as well. And we basically just said, well, shields are shields, same technology. So if they had shields and their lasers were able to affect shields, there must have been something about the frequency on them. They must have been phasing them or something to make them work. Um, but another thing that we put in there was, is like, all right, well, Star Trek got transporters. We'll just transport the captain into space. It's like, oh, yeah, except you see um, the Star Trek ships use hyperdrives, not warp drives. And the hyperdrive signature somehow interferes with transporter signals. It's the reason why the Empire never wound up with transporters. They could never get them to work on ships. So we we worked our way around all that stuff. Like all, all this, we, we, we sat down and we, we figured out all these questions that would make one side have an advantage over the other. And we figured out a logical way to say, nope, that's not exactly gonna, how it's going to work. And maybe they never figured it out. I mean, you know, there are times yeah. when you know, someone may go in a direction with research and never think about another direction point was is that you know we can't have transporters be you know the the, the game killer because they could be you could just uh you know lock onto the bridge crew beam them into space okay well we just won except oh, you oh, can't oh. do that through shields well yeah okay yeah that or beam on one kilogram of antimatter onto the other ship <laughs> so you gotta knock a hole in the shield yeah you take that out in the shields you just blow them out of the sky well, that's true there's actually a miniatures rule system out there that allows you to model any ship you want. So, of course, there was a battle between all the forces of good. You know, the Babylon 5 ships, the Star Trek ships, Zentra- uh, and, uh, of course, Yamato, y- Yamato and all that stuff. Versus, of course, Empire and Klingons and all the other stuff. And they said, also, uh, also the Death Star is there. Now, Death Star is the wall of this room. <laughs> yeah, it's about it, yeah. <laughs> Someone did, however, have a proper scale Darth Vader ship there. It was the biggest dang thing on the board. I mean, it was like three feet long. It, it went across, the, uh, not a Yamato, but a Yamato tech, tech ship with a wave motion gun. And that 
pretty much basically blows through planets like it wasn't there. And, of course, there's a lovely line saying, Oh, Commander, um, remember that one ship we said we should never like, get a beat on us? Yep, they have a beat on us. And they just ripped the, ripped the Darth Vader ship into little shreds with that wave motion gun. <laughs> See, that's the one thing about mixing genres like that. Blix did it right as far as, okay, we need to figure out the various tech, the various hype drives, your various you know forms of space travel, weaponry, um, powers of races, like the Force. It's psionics. It's not magic. There's no verbal, somatic, or material components. It's all mental stuff. Therefore, you just lump it in under psionics, and there you go. But you still got to figure about, okay, well, you got psionics in Star Trek, too. Vulcans have touched telepathy. Dude, we were able to equal it out. It, it all equaled out, you know, because like, like you're saying, the Vulcans, they, they had psionics. You had the Betazoids, which have psionics. It was not overpowered in any way. Not to mention, look, okay, you got a Jedi who's who's swinging around his lightsaber, right? You you would think, oh man, well, what, what's Star Trek going to do about that? And it's like, oh, I'm just going to set my phaser on wide beam. Yeah, yeah, they can't block all of it. Yeah, and, yeah. Or, uh, or I'm just uh, going to roll this grenade over at him. Oh sure, yeah, exactly. The thermal detonator. Yeah. Yeah, that or you know, Death Star. Okay, uh, hopefully there's more than one Doomsday machine out there. And then to try to make, make, make it follow me home. Yeah, so the see. simplest solution here is that, you know, you don't give one side or the other the best thing that's out there. I mean, yep. yeah, there might be these super ships like Darth Vader's ship and there might be the, the Death Star. But, you know, you don't have to fight them. Okay, there's lots and lots of other things that are smaller. And, you know, there's always somebody bigger and badder out there that can take yeah. you. So you have to use your brain. There's always bigger fish to fry, like I say. Yeah, well, that's the thing. See, you get the tech of the various cannons together. <clears throat> Again, I'm going to be diplomatic. It turns into a bigger phallus contest. Who's got the bigger phallus? And just it's like, really, we're going to we're going to quibble over, you know, Death Star versus Enterprise D against the Super Star Destroyer, whatever. We're going to quibble about this, really. And with with people's level of purism, it could really end up turning into a a knockdown dragout. And that's that part of that social contract where you have to get this stuff all hammered out before you get into the campaign and get going, so it doesn't get bogged down in in the term uh, minutiae. Right, or you just simply agree that if it's going to break the game, something happens. Yeah. Somebody burns out the hyperdrive intermitter or whatever it was that was on the, the, the Han Solo ship that was that kept them from jumping in the hyperspace. They told me they fixed it. I trusted them. It wasn't my fault. Yeah. <laughs> that's good I mean, drama. That's, that's not railroading. <laughs> that's good drama. Yeah. Now, of course, one answer is when you got all this stuff – Tech versus this, that versus that. Who it basically comes down to a two? Who would win contest? Basically, who would win? Well, of course, the answer to that one is very obvious. Batman. Batman always wins. Man, you and the Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's a good. It's it's comic books. Who, who's gonna win in this battle against this battle? Well, whoever's comic book it is. If it's right. Yeah. Versus Wolverine. Guess what? Spider Man's gonna win. Yeah, unless Batman's there, then Batman wins. Oh, yeah. oh Batman! <laughs> I don't like where people get these situations. Well, this thing would do this, and that would do that. 
because it takes away the fun. I mean, it takes something that should be exciting and visceral and, and imaginative, and you say, oh, no, Y over X means you lose. And I'm like, ah, uh-uh. Y over X means I have to be smarter than you. You read all of your pulp fiction, you read your pulp science fiction. It's not the guy who had the biggest, baddest ship who usually wins. It's usually the guy that was smarter, clever, and had you know some guy uh, you know, set the robot onto the ship before it left dock, the enemy ship, and burned out all of its you know hyperdrive transmitters. Okay, so okay. that all of a sudden, at the last minute, oh, we don't have power, boom, he wins anyways. Yeah, you sneak your former chief engineer on board the big dreadnought to knock out the weapons power. Yeah. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, is imagination should always out-trump science, technology, and especially canon. Well, for the purposes of the game, yeah. I mean, it, 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 in this case, it is for the love of the game. All right, so look, we keep talking about all the space stuff. Let, let's go. Let's go back in time. Let's let's go back into you know talking about worrying about the canon, playing in other people's worlds. What about like Conan's time? I mean, there's plenty of stuff to do there without having to interact with Conan. I mean, that's a great world to go to. Hyperborea. Yeah. Or Hyborea. Sorry, Hyborea, because Hyperborea is in Hyborea. First thing you do is you bring in Cerberus the Aardvark. Oh God. Because <laughs> it was in basically the same setting. Right, and Red Sonia, and uh, yeah. That's a great world to play in, and Meldabone is a good place to play. The world of it. Meldabone's a kind of an island full of rather nasty people. Yeah, you don't want to go to Meldabone itself. But the world that, that Elric lives in, that's a great world to play in. There's a lot of stuff to do there, and you don't have to mix with anybody that, that's in the stories. Yeah, for, or Samaria. Samaria. Yep. Though, if I remember correctly, because the way the, the, a lot of the writers worked, uh, you can also in Samira run into Farfit and the Grey Mouser as well, because they're all technically part of the same sort of common generic pulp fantasy universe. Yeah, sure. And it's Cthulhu. <laughs> and it's Cthulhu, yes. I mean, Robert Howard wrote some stuff that basically I would say is definitely in the, in the mythos. Oh, no, no. It, it, oh, it is. Oh, no, they link Robert Howard and Lovecraft. Yeah, the stuff is all linked. It is all... They were pen pals. Yeah. It was their social contract. It was an agreed-upon canon universe. Shared shared world. That's what... An- another uh, a genre that would be tough to play in, I think. And, and you correct me if I'm wrong. I-, I think, you know, John Carter of Mars would be a little tough unless you were actually playing Martians if there was a mind transfer. You couldn't play a party of humans that go to Mars because you would all just... You'd run roughshod over them. Yeah. So that would be a tough one. I think that would be a good world for a mind transfer. Well, I'll, take, I'll, I'll make one exception to that. Unless, of course, you're playing in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Then you're just one of a bunch of humans on Mars. Oh, no. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen all get transported to Mars, I think, is what... Remember, in that one, all the stories are true. So John Carr is up there. So is uh, uh, Swift's character. So are a bunch of other human characters went to Mars. They're all there. All interacting with, with different Martians, unfortunately. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen takes all the stories that were written at the time periods, various time periods, as being true. For the Victorian era, there's, there were actually several people already on Mars. Jonathan Swiss had a character up there. Some other people had characters up there. I mean, I you had who- the tripod Martians and the uh, uh, John Carter Martians 
battling it out amongst the, the, each other too. Yes. So, and you had, and and the, the the tripod Martians were also at the same time having a battle on a second front by coming to Earth and trying to kick the snot out of us here. So yep. it was a whole big mashup in the comic books. Now that's a good example of trying to keep the canon straight while same time mashing them together. Moore did a good job of keeping them straight. You know, each character played true to their canon, more or less. Hmm. I mean, he played the real Nemo, not the um, movie Nemo. <laughs> yeah, Blix, did you ever see League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with Sean Connery? Sure. Okay, yeah. Nemo's an Indian prince. Oh, yeah. The Nautilus was not that big, though. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, but that's okay. And I doubt very much you could go down the canals of, of Venice. Let's <laughs> <laughs> draw a veil over the movie version, please. You're talking about, with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, a situation where they intentionally came in with the idea of doing a mashup. So... Uh, more when he did this, he had he didn't just like you know grab a whole bunch of different stories and toss them into a bucket and pull out five of them and say okay that's what I'm writing about. He picked elements that he wanted to bring together to tell the story that he wanted to tell, and I think that's the essence of of a mashup is that you're you're taking things that complement each other or highlight each other at the mm-hmm. same time recognizing and keeping the core look and feel as Peter was talking about. And, and characterizations of those original source materials. Because you know, otherwise, the mashup doesn't make sense. It doesn't have the reason that you're doing it in the first place. Well, the League, I think the, the concept of LXG is the perfect idea of a gestalt. You put it all together, and the sum ends up being greater than what it is just put together. I use the movie example because that's what I'm familiar with. You have Alan Quartermain, Mina Harker, Tom Sawyer... Dorian Gray, Captain Nemo, A New Invisible Man, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Anyways, you have these six disparate people, and they put them together, and just, they they pop, they click. Granted, they were all antagonistic toward each other, because some of them, they had their own agendas, they had their own goals, they had their own allegiances and alignments, but they had to learn to work together. Dysfunctional functional. Oh, yeah. Very dysfunctional. And after a while, they learned to work together, and it just it just popped because they all complemented each other. They had to have an antagonist that was bigger than they were. Yeah, and I think at this point, considering the movie came out in like 2007, I'm not giving a spoiler here, it was Moriarty. Um, so, yeah, it, it... I'm shocked. You've ruined this. Wow, really? Yeah, I, you've known me for three years. You could have borrowed the DVD. Um, you had to get somebody as big as Moriarty to do it, to pull off what they did. And again, going from the scientific romances of the era and they, Alan Moore and, uh, O'Neill. Yeah. Basically they threw it together and it, it popped. I mean, Tom Sawyer granted was an invention for American audiences because he wasn't in the graphic novel. No, no. There's no example of Canon versus Canon. The movie's canon is different from the books from the the books canon. Yes, and, and you know what? It should be. You know, I, I get tired of people always saying, "Well, the the movie was different than the book." 
the movie's different than the book. And I was just like, well, yeah, I mean, do you really want to know everything that happens? Do you want them to, to – or would you rather have a little bit of surprise? And and there's also the fact that some things don't translate, you know, into – from one media to the next. Well, that's why they say based on the novel by or based on the book series by. It's base. It's not ex- – you can't do exact. Although I will say that the John Carter movie, in my opinion, was a terrible adaptation. I never read, I liked the movie, but I never read the Barsoom novels. I agree, Peter. I did not like it. However, I thought that it was a worthy attempt. It wasn't awful. Oh, no, I loved, I loved the John Carter movie. It just, it got bad press, that's all. Well, it got no press. That's the problem. I, in fact, actually preferred the independent version of it called A Princess of Mars. Oh, God, the one with Tracy Lords? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. We had battles on ostriches. Just shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, he's going to talk about Canada of Sharknado. You know? <laughs> Sharknado stands on its own as it should. <laughs> Doesn't need any help from me. Oh, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers, this was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.